Welcome into another edition of the Skinny Podcast presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com Digital Sports Commons and Editor with Chad Brendel of Bearcat Journal. As we get caught up on UC Hoops as they finish non-conference playing, get headed into conference action next week. And of course, the Military Bowl. And Chad, let's start there. You know, a win for UC would, would in my opinion, and I know people can look and, and see Virginia Tech's record and they're a mediocre team and the ACC wasn't great, all those things. I just think it puts a nice bow on this season to where you beat a Power 6 conference team, no matter what their record, mediocrity, all those things, and you can look back and say, boy, 11-2 and with a loss to Temple in overtime and a game you almost had, and then a loss to UCF, which just doesn't lose and hasn't lost in, in two years. I think it just puts a really nice bow on it. And the flip side is a loss. I don't think it leaves a complete bad taste, but I think it leaves a little bit of a bad taste. I mean, it will... I think it would leave a bad taste initially, but when you're looking back on the the 2018 Cincinnati Bearcats, even with the loss, you're going to say, "How in the world was that? How in the world did they go from where they were to a 10 win team?" Sure, yeah, um, that's fair. But a win, yeah, win. Now you're 11 and two. You're tied for second most wins in program history. You know, and and you did all that coming from back to back four and eight seasons, and you, and you you're looking at one of the better stories in UC football history if they if they can go to Annapolis and get a win on Monday. Yeah, the, yeah, and the thing to me, in that way, you can't have somebody say, "See, this is why we can't let the UCs and the UCFs play in a big time BCS bowl because look what a mediocre Power Five team did." No, I think you beat them and you put all those things to rest. Plus, yeah. You really just put, you put that nice bow on what has been a great season, and it's just going to be a great way to cap it. A great way to cap it and a great way to look to the future. Sure. I mean, you know, if we rewind three months, Richard, the, the biggest story was third youngest team in the country. Can they get the six wins? With that, wow. I mean, Luke Fickle in no time essentially took the program from, you know, the lowest it felt since Rick Minner was coach right. to right back to where they wanted to be in, in a span of, Two years, yeah. With the future looking bright on on, on top of all of, of that, what um and you've been around practice uh, as they prepare for the bowl. You know, obviously, you're getting ready for Virginia Tech. What else was Luke Fickle looking to accomplish? Maybe in these last handful of weeks. Again, getting ready for Virginia Tech is, is the is the main thing. But there are also other things that coaches use these extra practices for. What what else did he get, and did he want to get out of these practices, Chad? I think the biggest thing you wanted to get, especially out of, they kind of did them in a couple different segments. Uh, the first six practices were a lot of young guys um, getting a lot of reps for some guys that are going to be needed next year. And then the next five practices were, you know, getting a look at Virginia Tech and preparing for this game that's coming up. I think the biggest thing you wanted out of these bowl reps and, you know, heading towards spring practice you got a lot to do on the offensive and defensive lines, and that's really where this team excelled this year. Right, uh, They were able to run the football. Desmond Ritter did not get pressured a lot. Uh, and defensively, the duo of, of Broughton and Copeland in the middle uh, were the, the driving force in the defense going from being terrible for two years to finishing in the top ten in the country. You've got to find who's next in line there. Um they, they switched Jay Sanders, a, a true freshman, from that kind of stand-up hybrid defensive end position over to strong side defensive end and got him a lot of looks there. I think that's where you're going to see him. 
for the next three years going forward. Uh, and then guys like Curtis Brooks, then Marcus Brown and Malik Van, uh, Elijah Ponder. Uh, you, you've got to get those guys some looks and, and to figure out where you're at on your defensive line going into the spring. Because that was a huge, huge strength of the team um, this season. You're talking about, uh, let me find this number here real quick. Broughton and Copeland combined for 24 and a half tackles for loss. That's 10 insane. Sacks. That's a crazy number. And then Kamani yeah. Fitz and Michael Pitts, who will be back, they combined for eight and a half sacks and 16 tackles for loss. That's incredible production from your defensive line, getting in the backfield and creating uh, havoc for opposing defenses. You've got to find who's next there. I, I, with Steve Stripling as their defensive line coach, I don't think that's going to be much of a problem. But you wanted to get a look and, and to see who kind of slots in and, and Similar along the offensive line, um, they're hopeful that they can get Michigan transfer James Hudson a waiver uh, if he's eligible for next year. And he was able to practice, I would certainly right? think he's a leader at left tackle. Um, they're trying to get Chris Ferguson a waiver uh, to play a six-year, which would slot him back in at right tackle. Jakari Robinson at center, Morgan James at right, or right guard. If that's the case, really the only – spot you're going to have to fill is, is left guard with Kyle Trout, and you've got probably six guys lined up to battle for that spot. So the offensive and defensive line, I think, were the biggest things that Fickle was getting a look at and getting as much as he could on tape and bowl practice. What was he able to? What was he able to do from a redshirt perspective this year? And obviously the new rule helps a lot of coaches across the country where you can play four games and still redshirt. Was he able to, to keep from, from burning too much? They burned a lot. Uh, Charles McClellan and Tavion Thomas were, were were played, you know, a full freshman year. Uh, Myjay Sanders that I just mentioned played a full freshman year. Um, but you still have guys like uh, a kid like Arquan Bush, who I would say ninety percent of UC's history, he would have come in and and maybe started right away as a freshman defensive back at corner, and he was able to redshirt. They played him in the ECU game. He gets two picks, the fumble recovery. Uh, touchdown, you know, just he's electric. Uh, they were able to get him that redshirt year. Uh, a lot of the guys on the offensive line that I think there's quite a few of those guys you're going to see as early as next year, Colin Woodside, Jeremy Cooper, Lorenz Metz. Um, so they were able to get all those guys a year redshirt. Um, and then, you know, you've got some, some guys at wide receiver and uh, throughout the linebacking core and some of those areas that, uh, you were able to redshirt some guys, but Luke—he's not real huge on on redshirting just a redshirt. If he thinks a guy like MyJ Sanders played mostly on special teams, and I think Luke feels like that's going to get him ready. We saw it last year. Perfect example: uh, Kobe Bryant and Derek Forrest. They played most of their freshman season, but almost exclusively on special teams. There were some people upset that maybe they burned that redshirt year on those two guys or that they didn't use that red shirt year on those two guys. But the action that they got had them ready to step in and start and be significant contributors as sophomores. And I think that's his thinking. If, if a guy's good enough to put out there, let's get him out there, let's get him game experience, and then hopefully by year two he's ready to roll. Yeah, no, I, I think there are different philosophies. Sometimes if you're trying to stockpile knowing where you're at, you do that. But I also think that if you think a guy can help you, and certainly in certain positions they can right away, or even just on special teams, I think you do it, especially when you feel like, hey, our group's going to keep recruiting. We're going to keep filling from behind, so we can't suddenly keep stacking classes, stacking classes. And maybe that's where he's at with it as well. 
Exactly. I think in, with the previous staff, they felt like they were in a position where guys weren't going to contribute until their third, fourth, fifth years. Right. And I think that's kind of a loser's mentality, and I think that's what we saw. You're, you're constantly waiting for the cavalry to arrive. Luke recruits guys and says, you're coming in and you're going to play if you're good enough. And I, one, I think it's a hell of a recruiting sales sure. pitch, especially it gives you an advantage at Cincinnati if, when you're competing against Power 5 schools. They say, yeah, you're going to go sit the bench there for two years, no matter what you do, where if you come here, you're going to get on the field as quickly as possible. And then he backs it up with action. So when guys come in, they're coming in on official visits, guess who their host would be? A guy at their position or a guy from their area that they come in and they spend time with and they say, no, as a freshman, I was given an opportunity to play. And that resonates with kids. Kids want to play. We both know that. Sure. Let's talk about this Virginia Tech team. It uh, it opened the season four and six. Along the way, lost to Old Dominion, uh, which wasn't really. Sometimes you know you see that happen. You lose to one of those one double A F F C S teams, and you can say, hey, that's a good team. Old Dominion was not. Um, was four and six. Had to win the last two games, beating rival Virginia in overtime, and then beating Marshall, which uh, showed itself pretty well in a bowl game. Uh, to get to six and six, uh, what kind of challenges Virginia Tech present? I think on paper UC is better, but maybe Virginia Tech's playing with a little house money getting into this bowl game. Yeah, I mean they're this is what their twenty sixth year in a row in yep. a bowl game, and they had to fight to so get they there. They know the process. Um, they're going to Bud Foster will have them ready. I think the thing Cincinnati's got to play error free football. When we've seen them struggle especially Temple, the near loss to SMU, games away from Nippert Stadium. A lot of penalties and some untimely turnovers and not playing clean football is what has gotten them in trouble. Like you said, on paper, Virginia Tech is one, number 105 in the country, giving up 206.5 yards a game on the ground. That's a recipe for success for Cincinnati. Yeah, no doubt. You know. The, the last uh, Pittsburgh kind of similar power running game, they rushed for 492 yards and six touchdowns against Virginia Tech. So the Hokies are young on defense. They've had some injuries and some issues on their defensive line. They don't get a lot of pressure on the quarterback. Um, they allow a lot of rushing yards. All of those things line up for Cincinnati offensively to be able to control the game. But that's only if you keep away from first and 15, right. second and 20, um, and, and obviously turnovers. And they haven't turned it over much, but it feels like when this team has turned it over, it's been very painful. You know, turnovers inside their own 20-yard line where the opponent is able to, you know, get a quick score on them. And really, that's been one of the few ways teams have been able to penetrate this Cincinnati defense. Yeah, I was going to say, not, not many drives. Yeah, a team, short field. yeah, teams don't drive on that team very much. No, and it's not like Virginia Tech has a explosive, high-powered uh, aerial passing attack, which is what we've seen give Cincinnati trouble. If you're trying to sustain drives, now there is the one thing I would be really concerned about is I think Cincinnati's best defensive player is going to be out for the first half of this game. As James Wiggins got a uh, targeting penalty in the second half against ECU. Uh, so we saw Tyrell Gilbert, who spent the season at corner but has played safety before. We saw him back there in Wiggins' spot uh, through the bowl practices. 
he will probably be back there in the first half against Virginia Tech. But, man, James Wiggins is such a difference maker on the back end of that defense that you worry through the first half uh, if Cincinnati can weather the storm of not having a guy that flies around and can can get his hands on the ball and makes big hits and, and, and really kind of, you know, that's what they haven't had the past couple of years. They didn't have a guy that erased mistakes at the back end of that defense. And if you go back and watch through the highlights this year, there's a lot of mistakes that were erased by James Wiggins. Uh, not having him in the first half, I think, is going to be something you really hope you can survive and then get to the second half, get him in the game. And I think that should give them an upper hand defensively. You do see this sometimes in bowl games, Chad, where there's clearly a team just doesn't want to be there. What You can name the bowl, you can name the situation, you can name the reasons. UC is not that kind of – this seems like a, even if it is – just the military bowl, and even if it is just a six and six Virginia Tech, th- this is a UC team that wants to be there, correct? Absolutely. I mean, you've got a lot of seniors that, that went through hell and back. Yep. You know, they committed to a winning program, and then they were a part of that winning program, bottoming out over three years. Um, they're back to winning. I don't think in any way, shape, form, stretch of the imagination, they're going to allow this team to come out flat. Uh, they've been great leaders in the locker room. They've set a great example for how Luke Fickle wants the program to be run. I can't imagine that they would they would allow a, a bolcation, as they used to be called, <laughs> under the previous regime. God, that was awful. I think um, I think Tommy Tuberville was on a permanent vacation, not a bolcation, just a permanent vacation. <laughs> But, I, you know, I don't think that they would, and I, and I have a hard time seeing Virginia Tech like that either. Right. If they were going to pack it in, they would have lost to Virginia or Marshall and packed Correct. it in and just said, you know, enough's enough. We're working towards next year with a young team, and they didn't do that. So I, I think you're going to see two teams that are ready to go and ready to play. Uh, the early signing period uh, has come and gone. We're about uh, two weeks out, I guess, from it, the, and – Obviously, the calendar has changed. It used to be February. Now it's December. Um, a, how did UC do, and, and what's still ahead for them in, in, in this in this signing class? I think they did really well in terms of filling uh, some depth, filling some needs that they thought they needed to address. Um, it wasn't as splashy as the previous recruiting class, uh, at least up front, uh, in part because they just didn't have the numbers. Um, they really only signed 12, 13 guys, depending on how you look at it for this class so far. They, they've got five spots to go. I would think two or three of them will be used on high school kids um, in the second signing day. But I do think, you know, once again, playing in the league that they're playing in and having teams that like to spread you out and spread it around, uh, they went out and, and once again got the number one corner in the state of Ohio. Luke Fickles had three recruiting classes, Skinny. They've landed the number one cornerback in the state of Ohio all three years. No, that, that's, a, that's a great place to build from. I mean, I don't care what level you are. You give me a corner, you give me a, an interior pass. I know everybody looks at the exterior pass rushers. You give me corners and guys that can push the pocket and control the line of scrimmage in the middle. Um, you can do a whole lot of things on defense with that. Yeah, and I think they might have gotten the best one yet. Uh, out of the three recruiting cycles in Justin Harris, a kid from Dayton Wayne. Uh, watching this kid at camps and stuff over the summer, the past two years. Incredible feet, incredible hands, great quickness. Loves the game of football, is constantly working to get better. Um, I think they really hit a home run with him. 
And it's funny because I think they got another kid out of, of Detroit uh, named Ahmad Gardner, uh, who's also a cornerback that I think is, is going to be exceptional as well. Just didn't hear much talk about him because Harris is the highest-rated kid in the recruiting class. Um, they got a, a speedster, kind of slot, receiver, return man type guy that I think can be electric. Uh, state champion in the 100-meter dash in Ohio, uh, Trey Tucker out of Cuyahoga Valley Christian. Um, we're talking this kid. This kid's looking to run a 10-3, meters in the spring. Fly, son, fly. He's looking to break the state record. I think he ran 10-5 or 10-6 last year uh, in winning a state championship. He's looking to break the state record this year. Um, and that's the type of speed. Very hard to uh, to get into uh, to your football program, for one. And two... The kid is also really good at football. He's not just fast. I mean, I, we see a lot of these, you know, you're old enough. You remember the Raiders days. They'd go sign, you know, the top 100-meter sprinter in the country every year, and he stunk, and it wouldn't work out. And But this kid actually had 12, 13 touchdowns this year on offense, a couple more on special teams. Um, he gives them kind of that electric speed, playmaker, playmaking ability. The last guy really I felt like Cincinnati had like that and that, this is not to say this kid is going to be the name I'm about to drop, but the last time they had that in the return game was Marty Gilliam. Right. You know, a guy that just, when he got even with the defense, you just chalked up a touchdown. Yeah, it, it's if, funny. You, you, they can get, you, you remember yeah. the, the, the Marty Gilliard, the, the one where you finally, you, maybe not finally, but you went, holy cow, that guy's, that guy's good at that, was that Oklahoma game at Oklahoma where it felt like yeah. Oklahoma scored a touchdown, he'd return it back. Oklahoma scored a touchdown, he'd return it back. And you do that against those guys, Man, he was dynamic. So if he's even in that close to that class, you've added a dynamic player. And then they've added a kid. It'll be interesting to see where this kid winds up. He's their second highest rated recruit, Cameron Jones, from Frederick Douglass High School in Lexington. He's a quarterback for now. Six foot eight, two hundred and fifty pounds. Holy cow! Well, Le- <laughs> hey, Le- Leonard Taylor was a quarterback in high school. He was six foot seven, uh, whatever, whatever he is, and he was actually he actually could throw the football. No, Cameron threw for like a hundred touchdowns in his career as quarterback. I mean, he's being invited to pretty prestigious national all star games uh, as a quarterback. If I had to guess, he's going to make the uh, the very rare transition from quarterback to left tackle. <laughs> Usually, you don't see a lot of guys no, no, you, at this level. Yeah, usually the in-between is they make you a tight end, right? Yeah, well, I mean, Travis Kelsey was a quarterback in right, high school. Right, um, but, uh, but with this kid's size, I mean, if you go look at his Twitter account, and Luke Fickle's a big guy, right? Sure. This kid is like, Luke comes up to his chin. And they've done a great job there adding that type of legit, quality size, you know, in the trenches, especially on offense with a guy like Lorenz Metz, who's 6'10", 320 pounds. Darius Harper, who's 6'8", 315 pounds. Um, Like I mentioned, James Hudson that just transferred from Michigan, a four-star offensive lineman uh, who is 6'5", 300 pounds already. Um, That room looks sorry two years ago, Skinny. No, right. I walked into spring practice Luke Fickle's first year, and I looked at that offensive line group and went, Oh, God, they're going to get killed. And what they've been able to do to that room in two years is astonishing. And, and if you can put Cam Jones in that mix as well, um, 
boy, they're, they're going to be massive along the front, which if you want to have a power running game, you better have a bunch of big boys on the offensive line to pull it off. Well, and you can also now have the left tackle reverse to a pass. Maybe you got something in for yeah. him to do that, huh? It'll be the you'll see that it'll be the the, the greatest gadget play in in football history, perhaps. <laughs> what he steps back off the line, you throw him a lateral, or or just the, ha- the Cincinnati ha- special. The Cincinnati special, I love it. I mean, maybe you, maybe you pull that off, and it, it would it would be really cool. <laughs> Tell them they got to do that at least in spring practice, just to show it. Don't show anybody else. I'll, I'll just, talk, just yeah, talk to Luke about I'll putting talk that to play. Rock about that, yeah, exactly. And I'll get it on tape just for you, exactly. Let's talk a little uh, UC basketball. The Bearcats do have a big break. Last played uh, this past Saturday, the 22nd, against uh, South Carolina State and don't play again until they open conference play against Tulane at home on Wednesday, January 2nd. Um, I do want to talk about what they've done to this point, but I want to talk about this little break in between. What, what, what can Mick Cronin get out of this break? I would think he could get a lot because his team is playing to the point where I'm guessing it goes into that break with a lot of confidence. Yeah, I, well, they the, first off, they, they got a nice. I think everybody, from what I heard, everybody on the team got to go home. Oh, that's cool and, for well, a few maybe days. Maybe yeah. not home, right? But, but yeah, you know, the the, the African guys uh, got to go to wherever you know the family that they've been staying with when they came to America. Uh, all the the American players got to go home to their families and spend Christmas with them. Um, they left right after uh, the game against South Carolina State. They came back. Uh, yesterday um and then i believe they were going to use today and tomorrow as kind of boot camp days um you get unlimited practice time because christmas break is going on um i I know it's been uh glorified in in lexington camp cal what's happening at camp cal this year that's that that, Uh, that, they get a couple they get a couple days of that 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 was the reason for the north carolina win right camp cal yeah camp cal and, and the tweet Exactly, and the tweak. There's always the tweak. Don't, the, always the tweak. The, the camp cow and the tweak. Yep. Um, but you get a couple days where you get to work on yourself, uh, get to shore up some stuff on defense, uh, which they're playing at a really high level. Uh, I listened to you and Rick, by the way, yesterday. You said Cincinnati was 46 in Ken Palm. They're 25 in Ken Palm's game. No, I think he said forty six. I didn't. I didn't see their no, Ken Palm did. ring. I didn't. No, I didn't see their Ken Palm. I saw uh, Kentucky's Ken Palm at 33. Is the only one I mentioned. That's only Somebody one. said they were 46. They're 47 offensively. Uh, they're 25 overall in Ken Palm. Um, so you get to work on some stuff there, and then you know you get to Saturday or so, and then you'll start getting getting work to work on Tulane, uh, who just lost to a winless team. But they're getting better. But, but, but they're getting better. Op- they're, they're getting better offensively, though, right? No, those guys are gone. <laughs> no, I know. I know. You, you, you the, said the reason they're getting better offensively the past couple of years is now in the NBA. Yeah, and you did say to your credit before the season started. No, I don't think they're getting better offensively. So no, you, 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 yeah, you called. I, this I did not bit. foresee Tulane being the uh, the the team that could scare you the way that I predicted a couple of years uh, the past couple of years. Um, now they're terrible. Yeah, they, genuinely terrible. They are for sure. Um, uh, I want to ask you. Oh. You know, I, I think it's a good break for him. I think you know you can. Uh oh. Lick some wounds. Uh, just rest a little bit because you had that really tough five game stretch. Well, you there. Yeah, yeah. No, I was going to say, as you look into it, I mean, just the timing of it is. But I think you get a chance to ease into the schedule of it though a little bit. Do you not? Just for just from competition level. Uh, yeah, I, that the way the American did the, the conference schedule this year is, uh, 
I like it in some ways. I, I like it less now than I did when it first came out. To basically backload? When it first came out, I thought this was going to be a team that was going to still be inconsistent and searching for an identity. And you get basically your five easiest conference games, the first five games of the conference slate. And then again, now what, it, what that creates is the last 13 games in a row are all going to be pretty tough. Correct. Um, you can say what you want about the American. And it's still a, te- a league that is struggling to find more than one or two quality teams at the very top of the league. Last year it was three with Houston, Wichita, and Cincinnati. This year it looks like two again with Cincinnati and Houston. But they've now also got everybody but ECU and Tulane is in the top 150. Correct. Which has been a big step for them. Like That's what we've talked about. Ad nauseum, you can't have three or four teams below 200 uh, in the RPI or the net or Ken Palm or whatever metrics you're going to want, want to look at. Uh, that That isn't really the case this year. They've got two duds, uh, but everybody else is going to be pretty tough. And, and running through 13 games in a row where if you have an inconsistent night, especially on the road, uh, we've seen Nick Cronin's teams, he, he wants to win ugly on the road, and that puts them in some tight games that maybe they shouldn't be in tight games. Um, they're going to have to really bring it that back half of the season, late January all the way through February. They're going to have to learn how to play hard uh, and play efficiently every night because, you know, after you get through this first five-game stretch, the initial five-game stretch, then things really, really heat up. Uh, I thought that was going to be a really good thing for them. Now when you look at them, I, I think they could have handled one or two of those tougher games uh, right out of the shoot because they're playing a lot more consistent than I expected. They're playing a lot better than I expected them to be uh, as we sit here on December 27th. The, the UCLA game, and some of that is UCLA-based because they are just horrific defensively. Now they got some dudes, but they're bad defensively, uh, all of those things, but but. That game looked to me like UC was on the attack from the get-go. Um, the South Carolina State game, I get it is what it is. You, you're not getting up for every single game. You're not going to be sharp for every single game. You know, you just came off of the the, the UCLA game a few games before. D- did that show? Did that show what they can do when they can attack, or is that more UCLA is just that bad defensively that if you show them any 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 attack mode, they're just going to wilt and not even defend you? Well, I mean UCLA was top 50 defensively coming into that game, uh, they're not, that's, you know, it's early season, the metrics have a way of, of yeah, yeah. correcting themselves throughout the year. Um, one, I think they shot it really well, and they got it from everybody. Trevor Moore hit a three, Rashawn Fredericks hit a three. Yep. It wasn't just Cumberland and Jennifer. Um, you know, they spread the wealth around, and they had a lot of guys that were banging in shots. That stretched out the UCLA defense. And once they stretched out the UCLA defense, UCLA had no chance. That was. Have you ever seen a team play worse zone? Awful. Than UCLA did for about five possessions, and UC just went to Nizier Brooks or Trey Scott at the free throw line, bang, 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 and it was either a dunk or a wide open three pointer. Um, and it looked like they literally were just standing there watching, hoping that UC missed somehow. Yeah, yeah. You're not it missing. You're not missing a dump down dunk. You're not going to miss that. Not generally. No. Um, but, I mean, it, I think it showed this is much more of a 
share the ball, team-oriented, play downhill offense than maybe we've ever seen from him. Yeah, yeah, and, and maybe that's what I got out of that more than anything else. Well, I mean, there. if you look at the stuff that they're running, there's, they're running nothing that they ran last year. Almost nothing. And a lot of that is because, you know, Gary and, and Kyle were so much of what they wanted to do last year that the ball played inside out sure. almost religiously. Uh, at times, I thought, to their detriment. Because they were so hell-bent on, we're going to pound it inside and, and work it from inside out. Now it's just run what we've got. They're running that little down screen um, for, you know, curl and pops from Cumberland, for curl and pops or curl and attack from Keith Williams. Um, the, the dribble handoffs have been really effective. Um, the pick and roll has been really good. They're playing downhill. They're getting to the free throw line. They're not shooting a ton of threes. For me, like, self-awareness, especially offensively in college basketball, is uh, is not, it's not, people don't make enough of a big deal about it. If you got a bunch of guys that are 30 to 32% three-point shooters, don't shoot 25 threes a game. Correct. And, and this team's shooting 14 or 15, 13, 14 threes a game. They're one of the worst in the country in number of three-point attempts. They know who they are. And they're getting better at who they are as the season progresses. Nizier Brooks, I've seen this from Nizier Brooks in practice for two years. And it always seemed like when the big lights went on, he he sped up. He got out of his comfort zone. He, he couldn't find that pace to get the ball in the basket. Now it's slowing down for him. I mean, he was dominant against UCLA. And against a seven-foot-one guy that's going to go in the first round. And that's a big step for him, especially for his confidence. And if that's if the Nizier Brooks and Trey Scott that we saw over the past couple weeks are the two guys that we're going to get for the next year and a half, along with Jaron Cumberland, and now Keith Williams is looking like a breakout star. Yeah, Keith Williams has been great. All of a sudden, Skinny, a team that we thought, eh, I don't know about them, you're now looking at going, now they're set up for not this year, but this year and next year. Sure. And we thought that was going to be a process. We thought there was going to be a lot of bumps in the road, and there might not be. And that just speaks a ton to mixed system and how he recruits. And it, it helps when you have guys that are ready to step in, even if the fans get jumpy, because we don't know how good this guy is because he only played nine minutes a game last year. But they know, and then they're ready. And they feel like it's their time. They feel like they've waited. They've learned. This is Trey Scott's fourth year. It's hard to believe because we haven't seen much of him. This is his fourth year. He's ready to make something happen. And, and, and Keith Williams has taken a huge jump, as you mentioned as well. I mean, just he is he, he he is so good on the offensive glass. It's fun to watch. Well, it's everybody talks about his first step, which is explosive and, and spectacular. For me, it's how fast he gets off the floor when he yes. gets to the rim. Yeah. And that's the same thing when he's I mean, offensive he, rebounding. He just he is so quick yeah. and sees so many angles, and he's he looks like a guy you should be able to pin, and you just can't get a body on him. Well, and, and then he gets back up, right? Quickly and puts it back in before you can even react to the first jump. You know that the dunk he had in the first half in transition uh, with Moses Brown, you know, run, tracking right behind him. He caught that ball, took two steps, and the ball was through the rim before you could like before anybody could even react to it. 
It's like, man, how did that happen so fast? That's, he, that's just a rare athlete. He's got a hell of a job getting better. No doubt. Um, you, you touched on this, and I, I want to get to it really quickly here before we wrap up. Um, where the American in is and, and how you would maybe rank it going into conference play. Houston's undefeated um, in, in non-league play. And UCF and Temple have not had bad non-leagues either. I mean, both are 10-2. and no. two, Both are... I don't know where they are in Ken Palm. I think in RPI, both are in, one's inside the top 50, and Temple might even be, I saw this the other day, they They're might be. close. Yeah, I, no, I think Temple maybe is even top 30, maybe even top 25. Um, RPI, I don't know about Ken Palm because I don't have it in front of me. Um, maybe this is more than just two. Maybe it can get to four. The thing is, though, what you said is right. Um, while it's probably Houston and UC at the top and UCF is close enough to, to be dangerous, problem is there is that middle group now that's not going to be fun to go play on the road. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm just pulled up Ken Palm. UCF is 40. Temple. They further down? Because RPI, RPI, they were top. I know, I know the other day I saw top 30, I think, RPI. 73 in okay. Ken Palm. They're okay. right behind Xavier. A lot of that uh, offense. They're 116 in offense. Okay. So need to get a little bit better there. But, I mean, yeah, you're... SMU has been solid. Connecticut has been solid. Um, neither of those teams really have that that resume standout win, um, but they they haven't had the the crushing losses that we've seen in years past. Sure. That's really doomed the league from the middle. Um, Memphis, talented. I think they're going to get a team or two coming into FedEx Forum. I still I don't know how good of a coach Penny is, man. Well, I, I do I do think this. I think they're getting incrementally better. I mean, they stood toe to toe for a bit with Tennessee, and I think Tennessee has proven to be really, really good. Phenomenal. Yeah, and so um, they got off to kind of a shaky start. Some of that is new coach, new system, new methods, and I, yeah, I, I don't know what kind of coach Penny is going to be either, or is even right now. But I do think they're going to be a team when you go to their place in this league is not going to be fun to play. Absolutely, and then. It's never easy to play at Wichita State, uh, even though they're seven and five and they replaced almost their entire roster. They're going to be tough at home. They've still got you know kind of a, a go-to guy uh, in Marcus McDuffie, and then Frank Hayes, Tulsa's not bad. I mean, they're not good per se, but they're another one of those teams. If you you know let's, let's say you come off a tough stretch of three or four games. Uh, and you go into Tulsa sleepwalking, they can beat you. Right. Uh, and and Wichita State's at 118, Tulsa's at 121. That's, you know, that that the problem is 118, 121 used to be like fifth place in the league. Now it's eighth place in yeah, the league. Yeah, no, right. And that shows that shows what you need for this league to get better. Um, with all that said, if I were to put, put you to a vote today, who would you vote to win the league now that we sit here going into conference play? Would it be Houston? Would it be UC? Would it be somebody else? I think I'd still slightly go Houston. Um, but, you know, it's interesting, though, Skinny. That, yeah, they're perfect record-wise. If you watch their games, they're getting they're playing with fire. They're getting behind big, early, double-digit halftime deficits. And then relying on Armani Brooks and Corey Davis to get hot and shoot them back into the game in the second half, that works against bye games, bye teams. In conference, especially on the road, 
you get down double digits to Cincinnati or, or Central Florida, coming back from that is near impossible. No, correct, correct. Be- because they're so good defensively and they just grind you out. Um, I still, I think Houston has more experience. They've got two guys that can really shoot it. I think Cincinnati's better uh, at the four and the five. I might be talking myself into taking Cincinnati <laughs> because it, I, Cincinnati has the best player in Jaron Cumberland. Yes. But they've got specialists. They're really good defensively. I think the two teams are really close. Um, can either one win at the other's home floor, I think, is the big question. Right. Because I think it, you know, if, if one of them gets a road scout, that's the team that I think is going to win the conference. And I think you're looking at probably – Fifteen and three wins the conference. Fourteen and four I wins think, yeah. the conference. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, between the two of them, and, and the difference could be which one gets that win on the road. Yep. And for for the record, Houston plays at UC on, uh, or actually home to UC on uh, February tenth, and then they play the final regular season game at UC, which could be for a whole lot of marbles on Sunday, March the tenth. So uh, looking forward to, and that's to all that. CBS again, I believe. It senior is. Day. Yep. Senior day, noon tip off. So there you go. Yep. Should be good stuff. Chad, listen, I appreciate it. Uh, bowl game should be a lot of fun, and, and uh, the conference season should be fun, and we'll get back to our regular basketball podcast a week from Sunday, whatever the heck that date is, January 6th, I believe. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. I will have, I'll have a couple pops in Annapolis for you. All right, I appreciate that, and bring a ghost story with you next time, uh, next time we do the podcast, okay? I've got one. I know you do. I'm, I'm going to drag it out of you. <laughs> All good, man. All right, man. Appreciate Thanks, it. Chad Brandle from Bearcat Journal. I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati.